We are the Lord's sheep. We are the ones that he keeps with his own hand. There is much of that love that comes through in the way that Jesus deals with Peter. I want you to hear these words from John 21. We'll read verses 15 through 17 today. So when they had eaten breakfast, John said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Here is another event in Peter's life, an event that informs him of the love of God for him as a sinner, an event that will commission him to be an apostle and minister of the word, an event that will shape the way in which he bears the gospel message himself as he preaches and teaches and ministers and as he writes and I'll be taking up the book of 1 Peter, and I want you to know about Peter because of this. Now, this event comes after Jesus' death and resurrection. And maybe more significantly, it comes after Peter's denial of Christ. We looked at that last week, and I want to pick that up just briefly again here today because Peter really was sifted like wheat those are the words that Jesus used about Peter, that Satan has, has demanded to sift you like wheat. But moving on from there, I want to remind you that Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, but I have prayed for you, and when you return, strengthen your brothers. So I want to especially then see the effects of Jesus' prayer for Peter and to see that Peter did return and Jesus restored Peter to fellowship and to ministry. And he did so through a very simple but searching question. Simon, do you love me? I'm going to apply that today, not just by understanding what this does for Peter, but I want to apply it to you as hearers of the gospel, as followers of Jesus Christ. I'll be asking you those words of Jesus. Do you love me? And while Peter was called to be a shepherd or to be an elder, an apostle, there are applications to every member of the church. For all of us are his sheep. And so I will summarize it this way by the title of my sermon. Love me? Question mark. Love me? Love my sheep. 
Let me show you how that works out. We'll begin by remembering that Peter was indeed sifted. Remember how bold Peter was. Remember how he had asserted in the face of of Jesus' telling him what was going to happen, that everyone was going to desert him. Peter said, no, 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 not I, Lord. Even though everybody else deserts you, I will not desert you. I will go to death itself for you. But it was only a matter of hours later that Peter is in that courtyard and a servant girl asks him, weren't you one of his followers? No, 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 no. And another says, I know that you were a follower. No, no, that wasn't me. And then confronted again, I know that you were a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Peter swears an oath. He curses. I do not know this man. The rooster crowed. And says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter and Peter went outside and wept bitterly. And Jesus went on to a mock trial, to false accusations, to a guilty charge, to humiliation, to crucifixion. Peter was sifted like wheat. Remember, there was more at work in this event than Peter's faulty faith. We looked at that last week, and we looked at how Peter was prone to pride, fell prey to isolation and to the fear of man. But there was more at work here, because it was Satan who demanded to sift Peter. We don't know exactly what that demand entailed. We've seen Satan before in Scripture going to God to ask for Job, to tempt him. Perhaps it was something like that. Perhaps it was that Jesus knew all things and knew that this moment of testing was upon him and all of his disciples and that the enemy was active and would use Peter's weaknesses and sins against him that very night. We don't know exactly, but we do know that Jesus knew And he told Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. So Satan was active in this. We also know that Jesus was active too. And don't forget that. In the midst of trials, it is very easy to be overwhelmed by the ferocity of the enemy, by the surprise of his attack, by the... (laughs) by the horror at what you've become, how could I do this? You need to remember that Jesus prayed for Peter. And he prays for all of his sheep. He prays for you as you trust in him. Jesus loved Peter. And as a mediator, he would sustain Peter. And fast forward to our text today, now that Jesus has risen from the grave, there is this this sweet, uh, that's not the right word, Uh, there is this connection that happens between Jesus and Peter that 
powerfully communicates the love that Jesus has for his child, Peter. And Peter begins to understand this even at the news of the resurrection. If you read the passages that lead up to this, when Peter finds out that that the tomb is empty, guess what he did? He and John ran to the tomb because he wanted to see for himself. And he was he was the first one that went into the empty tomb to find out what was there. He was so eager at this news. And now, uh, a little bit later, they're at the Sea of Galilee, and they're, they're fishing. They haven't caught anything all night. And, and there's this guy who appears on the shore and tells him, well, you need to cast your nets in on the other side. And all of a sudden, their nets are full, and they realize that's Jesus. Remember what Peter did? Well, he didn't even wait for the ship to go on into shore. He dove into the water and swam to shore because he wanted to be with Jesus. And I can imagine that things are starting to click in Peter's mind, all of those things that Jesus was teaching them. What he said about his death and his resurrection and the forgiveness of sins that that was accomplishing. And in the midst of that, it's not just a theological lesson that Peter is grasping. He is grasping it for himself. You can imagine him thinking of his own failure and something of a second chance, so to speak. For here is Jesus, alive. The one I had denied. I have a chance to see him again, not only see him, to repent my sins. This sets Peter off from Judas, doesn't it? They both failed. They crashed and they burned. They were both sorry for their sin. They both wept bitterly. Judas went and tried to change what he had done, but he didn't go to Jesus. He never repented. Peter did. And as he has this opportunity, he eagerly goes to his mediator. He eagerly goes to his savior. Because Jesus had prayed for him. And it sustained him even though he was sifted like wheat. It's good to pause here and to... Think about our Savior. I said last week that genuine believers may falter just as Peter did. I put it in in the kindest terms. I, I think as I look back on it, I should have put it in a stronger term. Genuine believers do falter in their faith. Not may, do You are not saved by the perfection of your faith. Peter proves that point. Praise God that he proves that point, right? Because you're saved by Jesus' love for you. And Peter sinned grievously. As do I. As do you. 
Satan was and is active. But so is Jesus. He was and is actively mediating on your behalf, on behalf of all of his children, so that your faith will not fail. And while this first point is that Peter is sifted, it is not a sifting that leads to his destruction. It is a sifting that leads to his refinement and, ref- and leads to this, this incredible meeting between Peter and his Savior. So let's turn and consider this conversation between Jesus and Peter. I'll call this Jesus, uh, Peter comforted. That's going to hold a lot. I'm going to pack a lot into that word. So here we go. So earlier after the resurrection, Jesus had already appeared to the disciples. He'd received them all back, including Peter. He had granted them the Holy Spirit. So, so Peter knows that, that he's accepted by Jesus. But there is this conversation that is very direct between Jesus and Peter that restores him and comforts him. And it is done in this amazing way with a very simple question, a simple question that is very searching at the same time. Because Jesus asked Peter three times, Simon, do you love me? And in each of these, Peter is going to respond. And it's this confrontation that, that is something like a, a doctor cleaning a wound. Some of you have had some deep wounds recently. <laughs> and the doctor will clean as deep as that wound goes. And that's what Jesus does with Peter here. He cleans as deep as the wound goes. And so he asked Peter three times. And it's likely that it has to do with that denial of Peter three times. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Well, actually, what he says first is, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? To which Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And in this answer, Peter shows a new humility in two ways. First, when Jesus asks, do you love me? And uh, you've probably heard this before, but Jesus uses a particular word for love that Peter doesn't mirror. And there's humility in his answer, and it's this way, because Jesus uses the word for the self-sacrificing love that God has for sinner, that Jesus has in laying down his life. It's it's that type of love that that is the Christian type of love that is self-sacrificing. And Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Using that word, and Peter responds, yes, I love you, but he uses the word affection or brotherly love. So 
it's as if Peter understands that uh, beforehand I had boasted in my pride about my ability to follow after Jesus Christ. And he's asked me, do I have a self-sacrificing type of love? Will I indeed lay down my life? I'm not so sure. But I do love you, Lord. I will follow you to the best of my ability. And where Jesus said, do you love me more than these? We're with the disciples here. And earlier, Peter had boasted, I will follow you. That They may not, but I will follow you. Well, Peter, do you love me more than these? And at this point, Peter doesn't compare himself to anybody. He's been humbled and he's learned a lesson and he, he answers for himself. He focuses on his own heart. And Jesus responds, feed my lambs. I'm going to set that aside for just a moment because Jesus goes on and asks Peter a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And here, Jesus accommodates himself to Peter. He drops the reference to everybody else, just like Peter had done. But he still uses that word for the self-sacrificing type of love. But Jesus is now focusing on Peter's heart. Do you love me? Without comparison to anyone else, do you love me? And this brings home a very direct and personal need that each and every one of you have to know and to love Jesus yourself. Without any comparison to anybody else, do you love Jesus? There's no room for you to say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. There's no room for you to say, well, I'm not as good as so-and-so. So without comparison, do you love Jesus? And Peter understood it this way. Jesus had dropped the comparison and asked pointedly, do you love me? And Peter responds in the same way. And he uses his same word for love. Lord, you know I love you, that I have a brotherly affection for you, brotherly love. As one commentator says, he still doesn't dare to affirm that he possesses the higher kind of love. To this, Jesus says again, tend my sheep. And a third time, Jesus asked, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? But this time, Jesus stoops down to Peter's level, and he uses the same word that Peter had used. Do you have brotherly love for me? I want you to just notice how, uh, how, how knowledgeable how, how tender our Savior is to our condition. How he dealt with Peter in a way that Peter could understand and grasp and that, that acknowledged the, the faltering faith that Peter had that, that needed to be cleansed like a doctor, but also needed to be healed, needed to be built up. And he's leading Peter along to realize what I've been saying about this love of Christ, that salvation 
does not come through Peter's faithfulness. It comes from Christ. The text says that Peter was grieved that Jesus had asked him this three times. And here again, I'll say it just reminds me of that doctor going back in a third time to make sure that the depth of that wound is actually cleansed. And it hurts for that probing to take place sometimes because our sins have wounded deeply and it's left a mess behind oftentimes. And part of that wound is that, is that we can, can come to look at ourselves as, as being so damaged that there can be no return. What Jesus does as he lifts his eyes from Peter's sins to Jesus's own perfect righteousness and his own perfect love. And once more, when Peter answered, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Peter here is casting himself on the mercy and love of Christ, which is the point that our salvation rests on him. Truly, when God loves us, when God loves you, then we in turn love him, and we joyfully and earnestly confess that to him. But our confidence and our assurance of forgiveness will never lie in and of ourselves, but comes from his faithful love ministered by Christ. And Jesus responds once more, feed my sheep. What a comfort this is, and I'll pause again and apply this second point. And I'll ask again, do you love Jesus? This is the most important question of your life. Do you love Jesus? Don't compare yourself to anyone else. Don't take shelter in your Christian upbringing. Don't take pride in your position or your accomplishments. Don't have your attention diverted by the fear of man. What might happen to you if the world around you finds out you're a Christian? Jesus asks you, do you love me? It may be that like Peter, you've been humbled and that in a faltering faith, you say, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. It may be that you're full of hope, but still worry. You know that sin still plagues you. And so you may say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Or maybe that you're desperate. That today you beat your chest and you say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
it is my privilege as a minister of the gospel to say to you that if you come to Jesus in faith, that he will never turn you away. That your sins are forgiven. That he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. When you ask Jesus to be your savior, you become a child of God. And it's based upon his love and his faithfulness. Not your faith, which will falter. It's based on his love for you, which is perfect. To all who call on him in faith, Jesus promises forgiveness and cleansing and love and eternal life. So cast yourself on him to find comfort for your souls. But finally, Jesus isn't done with Peter. For Jesus commissioned Peter. That's the last point I'll make. Peter commissioned. This comes up in the midst of this beautiful conversation. Jesus' threefold question, do you love me? And threefold instruction to Peter. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And I would tie this as well to what uh, Jesus said to Peter earlier. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. I have prayed for you, and when you return, strengthen your brothers. It's that strengthening here that Peter's, that Jesus is elaborating on now. And much could be said about the feeding and tending of God's flock. And there's a specific application that's given here to Peter as an apostle. He was to preach and to teach the feeding of God's word to the church. He was to tend and to guard, to lead the sheep uh, to guard against false teaching and, and wayward living. And, uh, and the church needs that. But what I want to do is to say, Peter is actually going to do this in his letter. And so I'm going to leave that till later. That's why this passage is so, so great in leading us into considering First Peter's because what Jesus commanded him to do is, is what First Peter's about. What I want you to see today, though, is I want to focus on the connection between Jesus's love and our love and Jesus's command. You see, the task that Jesus set for Peter is, is the response of love. And I've summarized it this way by the title of the summary uh, of the sermon. Love me, love my sheep. Love me, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. A particular task given to, uh, to, to Peter, but given to all of God's sheep as well. This is intimately and necessarily connected to the bond of love that exists between Jesus and you, his people. And it takes us back to that simple and searching question, do you love me? And we're reminded by the Apostle John that we love him because he first loved us. And that while every believer falters, that we do indeed genuinely 
respond in love. And out of that love for Christ grows a vibrant and lively obedience. Notice I didn't say a perfect obedience. Again, Peter proves this point. But Jesus has loved you and has loved you perfectly. And like he did with Peter, Jesus goes on to tell us how that love for him is expressed. It's expressed by loving his sheep. Isn't that powerful? As I said, for Peter, this had a specific application. He commissioned Peter to be an apostle and a teacher. But Christ asks every believer, do you love me? And every believer is a member of of the flock of Jesus Christ. And there's a relationship to Jesus that is expressed to one another as well. And so when Christ asks, do you love me? Do you love Jesus? And we say yes. Then Jesus's task, Jesus's response is to say, you show that love by loving my sheep. And I say that knowing full well that the church is full of hypocrisy. That the pulpit is full of hypocrites. I know that full, I say this full well, uh, knowing full well that, that sheep can tend to butt heads and to shoulder each other and to push each other down into the dirty, smelly, stinky sheep pen. But Christ loves his sheep and calls you to love his sheep as well. You'll hear Peter develop this point in his letters as well. You can read the whole first letter in one setting, but today you might take the, just the first chapter In it, you'll find this. It starts with the love of Christ for us. But towards the end of the chapter, listen to verses 22 and 23. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And I hope you hear in that that as you respond to Jesus with a heartfelt, genuine expression of love, that Jesus has given you a task to do. That God calls you to be a part of his body, which is the church. He calls you to be a member of of a flock, not just theoretically or Uh, theologically, but very particularly in, in a visible way. It calls you to be a part of this church. That I say to you, the members of this church, he calls you to love one another, to serve one another, to nurture one another, 
to forgive one another. And this will only happen if you love Christ. In this body, in this congregation, unity and mutual help will only happen if you love Jesus. It won't be held together by the charisma of the pastor. And I can say that wholeheartedly. It won't be held together by certain sociological categories where like people attract like people. It won't be held together by everyone behaving perfectly and everyone uh, never ever sinning against each other. It won't be held together by anything else than loving Jesus. And so I'll close with that most important question. Do you love Jesus? And in that question, hear the tender call of Christ, the one who laid down his life for sinners because of his great love. And then as you respond, as Peter did, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. As you respond, here is gentle but firm commission. Love me. Love my sheep. Love me, love my sheep. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your love for us. We would be doomed without it. God, thank you that your love understands how sinful we can be. How sinful we are. But you have loved us. You have given us a new nature. You've set us free from the power of sin and from its penalty. We pray, O Lord, that as we come to appreciate more and more the depth of the love that you have for us, that uh, that would give us a certain confidence in your presence, a comfort when we sin, that as you restore us, that we would know and be assured that our sins are forgiven. The Lord, remind us that the expression of our love for you has a certain way that it looks towards one another. So God, I pray that as we learn more and more about how much you have loved us, may we learn more and more about how much we love you and how much we love one another. Lord, help us to practice that. It is hard, but we pray that you would help us to practice it day in and day out. We pray these things looking to Jesus, the great shepherd of our of the sheep. In his name we pray, amen. Let's close by expressing our love to God, remembering his faithful love to us. We'll sing Psalm 31, Selection D. And this is one that, that comes from David in the midst of trial. 
It is one in which throughout the psalm he asks God to be gracious. He expresses how how much he has faltered and failed. But then he goes on to, uh, to, to marvel at the love that we have received and, uh, and calls us all to love the, love the Lord, you godly. And it closes with these really wonderful words. So then be strong and steadfast and let your heart be brave. All you who wait with patience, wait on the Lord to save. Let's stand and sing Psalm 31D.